Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 122 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me. Kurt, just returning from uh, Gooberville, Arkansas, and I insisted that it's not a real place, and he insists that it is. <laughs> it's actually Goober Town, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably even worse. I flew into Memphis, Tennessee this week and did a big event in Arkansas, in the middle of Arkansas, and on the way... Shout out to our friends in Goobertown, Arkansas. That actually exists. Look it up. It's just north of Memphis, Tennessee. Look it up. I don't know why you'd live in Goobertown or what their high school mascot is called or why they named it that, but I think we just had our first offense here on today's call to the people of Goobertown, Arkansas. I have some reasons why you might live there, but how do they spell Goobertown? I mean, people are definitely going to research this. We need to get the spelling out there. <laughs> it's Goober, G-O-O-B-E-R. Oh, no, it's like real uh, Goober. Yeah, it is. It's the Goober. Goobertown, <laughs> one word, look it up. Get on your Google Maps and find out it's there. What are these places that you're going to to train <laughs> companies? What is going on with you? I don't know. They sent me these strange places, and I'm like, man, I am in the middle of nowhere. And it was cold. I was expecting warm. It was really cold. Even snowed a little bit. Didn't stick. I was thinking back, my other trips to Arkansas have always been in the summertime, so it's a complete opposite experience with that humidity in the south. <laughs> so what was the place in Michigan, the the German, you know, out of the 1920s that just transported over into Michigan? Oh, Frankenmus. A Frankenmus. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's going to be the weird city year. Not the Los Angeles, not the Las Vegas, although I was in Las Vegas last week, too. Is it a good thing? Because I've been to L.A., Vegas, Detroit, New York so many times. Now I'm seeing different places that I've never seen before. <laughs> well, I've got to find out what Fortune 500 companies are located in Santa Claus, Indiana. I, <laughs> I just think that's your next stop. It seems like destiny. It's destiny. That's the next thing. It's the Christmas theme starting early this year. That's what it is. Oh, Christmas. That's over. And January's getting close to being over. i got to admit... I kind of view January as a bit of a slugfest. we got to get through it. Nothing really going on. It's cold. We're dieting. It's almost over. It is almost over, although I looked up the other day and realized, you know, I haven't taken down my outside Christmas lights yet. (laughs) (laughs) Better put that on the Saturday to-do list. Yeah, I got a Saturday to-do list myself. (laughs) I I Just chatting with some family, one of them claimed to have read an article, I don't know if this is real, that apparently for the average American— January 18th is the most depressing day of the year. (laughs) You gauge that one. I guess you know it's in January or February, so they chose 18th. So it's gone. It's passed. Now it's just uphill right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think, when you say, well, it's all uphill from here, I know what you're saying, but that implies it's more difficult. Who wants uphill? (laughs) All right. So it's all downhill from here. We're just, everything's getting happier, better, warmer, nicer. We're past the hard stuff. But it's confusing, though, because you say, oh, it's all downhill from here. Then that makes it feel like you're just tumbling down a hill, like, you know, you're Jack and Jill or something. All right, all right. It's all flat from here. Is that what you're looking for? I guess. (laughs) Listeners, if you know how this is supposed to be done, these are very important things that we're discussing on the show today. Just email us or tweet us at InfluenceMax, post it on Facebook, right? It's the same thing with people say, I think 
Seinfeld thought about on the wagon or off the wagon. Which is it? <laughs> exactly. It's one of those wagon. What wagon? What's the wagon? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the wagon going? Yeah. Why are we on a wagon when we have cars? <laughs> Who comes up with these things? This is groundbreaking stuff that we're talking yeah. about here. I hope you're taking notes out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a good trip off to Gooberville, Arkansas. Goober Town. Gooberville. Come on, we're offending these people. That's you're going to have Goober in your name. You got to be Goober Town. I'll tell you, in the Midwest, I noticed there are 7 million little cities and towns, and it's always Ville or Town. Mm. You know, take a tree or a plant or a person. And put Ville or Town, and I guarantee you it exists. I'm just looking to Germantown, Collierville, <laughs> Winville. <laughs> You're right. I'm just looking at the things close to that. Ville, Town, Berg, Dyersburg. you got to have the Berg in there. Yeah, right. Blytheville. So, yeah, we got all those ones close to there. It's different than California with the, the Spanish ancestry where everything is Los or San or all that kind of stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, here we are. Great stuff so far today. (laughs) We wanted to continue a little bit on our episode from last week, but just another reminder, I I said it once, follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax. Like us on Facebook. Share posts, whatever. We love that kind of stuff. Just type in Maximize Your Influence on Facebook. And the best way to listen to the show, I maintain, is to just automatically hook it up to your iTunes account or to Windows Marketplace, where whenever we release a new episode... It will automatically show up on your phone or whatever device that you use, and you just listen to the podcast that way. If you're old school, I mean, this doesn't sound old school, but you can go to the website, MaximizeYourInfluence.com, and check out our blog entries and listen to all of the episodes there. Housekeeping's out of the way. Kurt, you've got some kind of a super geeky Steve Urkel article moment for us. Well, it depends. I mean, everybody reads Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes Journal, I'm assuming. Oh, well, yes. Uh, yeah. This morning, I, I was everyone, that. Yeah. I knew. I see. That's why everyone's probably already heard this tip, but this is brand new about negotiation, kind of a quick negotiation tip. Basically, that when you gain sympathy, you gain the advantage, which is kind of counterintuitive because there's the power of the power play. And this research was done by uh, Dr. Laura Cray at UC Berkeley Business School. And they wanted to look at sympathy. Is that a weakness? Does that give you power? So they found that research suggests that when one party conveys information with emotional reasons behind it, the other party is more likely to develop sympathy, be more willing to compromise and find creative solutions. And so they looked more into it and realized that sympathy is an emotion that corresponds with goodwill. In negotiations, it can translate into a willingness to problem solve in ways that might not otherwise occur. And so they found that being transparent about one's misfortune is more effective when initiated by a low-power negotiator or someone in a weaker position. Negotiators in the stronger position who try to gain sympathy were seen as manipulative. So that's the key factor here. And they did this with some real estate scenarios where there was a building contractor and a developer. There's a problem over a payment. But the person in the high-power position cannot use sympathy because they're, they're the high power position. They're the person in charge. They're the one with the money. They're the one calling the shots. But the one in the low power situation could gain sympathy by saying, you know, here's the situation. This is what happened. This is what's going on. They actually found in the low power situation, it worked really well. And so their message is this. Even when people are in powerful positions in which cold-hearted, rational actors might be expected to behave opportunistically, 
they found they had feelings of sympathies that motivated them to really kind of be in that problem-solve mode, be a little more sympathetic and more helpful. So the key factor is sympathy does work when you're in the low-power situation, but not in the high-power situation. I have a couple comments on that. I've I've noticed when you're prospecting, doing cold calls, and you're running into, into gatekeepers, I've noticed that by far one of the most effective methods is that. It's not super blatant, like you're going in there, oh, please, oh, please have pity on me. It's, hey, I've got this challenge. I need to get a hold of so-and-so. I know you you run the show around here. I mean, if you're just a guy like me, what what would you do? And and I've found a lot of times, oh well, Bill is in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays at two, and that's when you're most likely to get him. You get a little bit of sympathy out of him, and like you say from the article, the person automatically becomes in a helpful mood. It just changes everything because hey, can I get your help? What would you think? You're the expert, like you mentioned, all those things. So when you're in that low-power position, and Gatekeeper has all the power, obviously, you can pull that card and say, hey, help me out, which is a lot of esteem, or finding some way to show empathy or sympathy. It makes a big difference, and then you're also human. There's too many cold callers out there that are in the bully situation, the lying situation. They're expecting my call, or you need to do this type of thing to where there's just too much of that happening. creates a lot of resistance. That's what makes the Gatekeeper's honorary. If you can take it a little bit different approach, it works really well. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of conversely, what you're saying about the person who has the advantage and then playing the sympathy card, I have a, a habit of listening to sports radio in the morning on the way into my office. And some athlete, I don't even know who it was, did something really stupid yesterday. What else is new? <laughs> and was kind of asking for for sympathy, uh, some issues in personal life. And the callers were calling into this show and they were just letting this guy have it. And so this turned into a debate on the show about you know, when are we going to show these kind of people sympathy? They do they do have real problems. And it came, well, they're rich. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to have sympathy for the rich. And they said, well, rich people have problems. And the whole consensus was, yeah, we all have problems, but most of us have to also worry about how to pay the mortgage that month, <laughs> right? Whereas the rich guy doesn't. He has less problems. And so it's never going to work. It's just totally contrary to human nature for people to feel sorry for somebody who's wealthy. I just uh, was curious <laughs> to hear what you think about that. No, I agree with that. When the football or baseball players threaten strike, they're going to do this, they're not making enough money, and they want sympathy from people. They're like, wait a minute, you're making 100 times more than everyone else. <laughs> right. right. You're not getting sympathy from me. It's not going to happen. So you're right on on that one to where, when they start complaining and whining and moaning about their life and things are happening, I'm like, well, wait a minute. You are living a better life than 99% of the people out there. You have no place to complain, and they get no sympathy because they're perceived in a higher power situation than the average person. Yeah, yeah. It's a, they, I have this person in front of me. Yeah, we all do, pal. Right. Yeah. A, Join the club. Yep. Welcome to the club. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a good article. That's good to know. So if you're in the weaker position in a negotiation, try to get some sympathy involved, especially somebody who's got their arms folded and and is not in a helpful mood because your chances of getting them in that kind of a mood increase, according to uh, Professor So-and-so at Cal Berkeley. (laughs) That's right. And be sincere and genuine. And if you can explain your challenge and create a little emotion and have a little sympathy, it works well. If you're just making things up and they're not going to believe you, they'll make it worse. But if it's a true story and, and they're in a position to help you out, they're more likely to. Sounds good to me. Well, last week we talked about dissonance and what that does psychologically to your prospects and talked about the fact that 
when you're living contrary or you're doing something contrary to your beliefs and your values and your attitudes, which we'll just call all of those together cognitions, when you're doing or, or living something contrary to that, it causes internal pressure, it causes a feeling of discomfort, and it's almost like a mental law of physics that you have to get yourself consistent again. You have to do something to bring yourself back in line with those cognitions. So kind of deep stuff in the world of, of persuasion and influence. But we went over that on a high level last week. And this week, we want to focus more on what do we do then? How do we get ourselves mentally consistent again? Because if you understand this process, you know what your prospects are going to do before they even do it. You can plan for that stuff or you can deal with it better after the fact. So that's what we're here to discuss today. Kurt, based on your book, Maximum Influence, there are essentially six ways to get rid of dissonance or to bring somebody back to mental consistency, correct? Correct. And that's the thing as a persuader and an influencer, you have to see these things happening in your prospect. Remember we talked about last time that if you stretch the rubber band too far, they'll snap at you, they'll come at you. And so here are the things that you'll, you're looking for that things could happen when you're creating that type of dissonance. And then I'll give you an example. So there's denial. And we're really good at this one where you deny there's a problem or they demean the source. They come after you. It's not in their world. They can't perceive that it's them. There's the reframe. That's where you modify your thinking or you change your understanding or you say something well, what they really meant or what they really said. You basically change what the person has said. There's the search. That's where you're looking for validation. You are looking for some types of support, some other person who's done it or is doing it. There's a separation where you compartmentalize the, what you're doing or ignore the discrepancy. See that in politics. Well, that's their private life versus their public life. Other people shouldn't text and drive, but I'm a better driver than most. That type of thing, it would be a, a separation. Rationalize, we're also very good at where you find excuses or ways to justify your behavior. And then what you're looking for as a persuader is the modify where they admit it. You know, I do need a change. I need your product. This is, let's go ahead and do it. That's what you're looking for. And so the best example I can give you is a lot of people feel dissonance about weight loss. It's January. You have your goals. So let's uh, stretch your rubber band a little bit and talk about it. Let's say you've been to the doctor's office and you're sitting on that parchment paper and the doctor comes in and says, okay, commit to me right now. No more fatty foods. You're looking at the doctor. He's concerned about cholesterol. He's concerned about blood pressure. And you're like, okay, doc, no more fatty foods. And you make a commitment. And that's part of the world of distance we need to talk about is creating commitments, getting the yeses, because the more commitments you get, the easier they are to persuade because their mindset, their belief is they keep those commitments. They're the type of person that keeps the commitments that they make. And so you've said yes, and you've done pretty well for a couple weeks, and you've had a bad day, and you come home and nobody's there. You open up the fridge, nothing's there. Then you open up the freezer, the light comes on, and almost you hear music as you see that pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, right? We've all been there. In fact, Steve, what flavor is it? What's the best flavor? Mmm, Chunky Monkey. Ooh, yeah, there's Chunky Monkey. I'm liking Cinnamon Bun lately. There's chicken, there's chicken, <laughs> there's kitchen sink. <laughs> right? I don't, those both sound pretty weird, chicken well, you know, and the kitchen people sink. People in Arkansas like their chicken ice cream, but. <laughs> oh, low shot. Low shot against Goober. Town Goober, Goober's out there it is. Yeah. But you're right. So we have all these flavors. And so let me just go through the six things that I talked about, kind of help it make sense to you. There's the denial, where you reach for that ice cream, that rubber band stretches, you feel tension, you remember the commitment you made to the doctor, you go to denial. 
well, that doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. He, I heard he was a bad doctor. He's the chunky monkey, right? <laughs> Who is he to tell me that I need to lose weight? And you eat the whole thing. Or you might go to the reframe. What the doctor really meant was burgers and fries. That's bad fat. This is good fat. It has calcium. What's you want me to get? Osteoporosis? Right. And you eat the whole thing. Uh-huh. Or you go into search mode. Well, the guy in Indianapolis watched 27 pounds on the ice cream diet, so it's on the internet. It must be true. Then now it's okay. I've lived in Indianapolis. I can see that. <laughs> you can see that happening? Well, there you go. Yeah. Now you've offended the people of Indianapolis along with Goobertown. There's a so great far. place in Carmel, Indiana called Handel's Ice Cream. And my wife, we used to always take the kids there. And there's a guy there that we always saw. And we're pretty sure he went there three or four times a day. And that when he wasn't there, he was at another ice cream place. <laughs> Talking 400 pounds plus? Is that what you're I, saying? I, I think that's a little light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not sure how he actually physically yeah, arrived. So he's doing these steps pretty good. He's probably doing all six. Yeah. Then there's the separation. No, no, that's just during the week, not the weekend. That's just during the day, not at night, right? Where you compartmentalize. Rationalization. Well, if I do five push-ups for every bite I take, <laughs> then I'll break even. And then there's a modify. No, I made a commitment. I am not going to do that. Remember, the human brain needs to be right. And so one of the main lessons here is your goal as a persuader is to get as many commitments as possible. Get as many yeses as possible. In fact, there's a great persuasion technique known as foot in the door that can actually double the yeses that you're getting if you do it the right way. The foot in the door can double your yeses. Double your yeses, double yourselves. Should we tell people? Just leave them hanging. I'm acting like the the shocked infomercial host, and I'm, I'm just <laughs> teeing you up here. All right, team me up. Go, go. <laughs> Give it to me. But wait, Kurt, you're telling me it can double the yeses? <laughs> Double the yeses, Steve. Yes, it can. And let me explain it to you <laughs> through a study. Oh, so yeah, this yeah, is study. what happens. we got to have a study. Everything's based on science. Yep. So here's what happened. So this is at a psychology department at a college. They went to students and said, we're doing a study on sensory perception Saturday at 6 a.m. Right? Can you help us out? And it was dismal. It was like 24%. Very low amount of yeses. And so applying the foot in the door, what they did is this, and it's very simple to apply, very simple to understand. They said, we're doing a study on sensory perception. Will you participate? Well, yeah. It's Saturday. Are you available? Yes. 6 a.m. Can you be there? Went from 24% to 56%. All they did was break it down to smaller yeses, smaller manageable bite-sized pieces. So here's your aha moment, listeners. When you're getting a lot of resistance, when you're getting a lot of no's, Break it down into smaller yeses, easier yeses, and it'll make a huge difference in your ability to influence and persuade. I have a question and a comment, a comment about that. You don't want to say, but wait, there's more? <laughs> and you're hosting this. We're, we're dropping the infomercial stick for just a moment. All right, um, go ahead. And then we'll get right back on it, I promise. I know you're so excited. <laughs> Talking about this foot in the door, we're getting little commitments, little yeses. My perception is that if you get those too quickly and too close together, the person figures out what's going on. I had a telemarketer do this to me the other day. But they were foot in the door in me. They were yesing me to death, right? Try to get some mental consistency. My other perception is that if they're too far apart, that the effect wears off, that the commitment was, quote-unquote, so long ago 
that they've forgotten about or that feeling isn't really even there anymore. What is your comment or what are your thoughts on a kind of a sweet spot for how often we should do this so that it's not so strong that it turns them off and it's not so weak that it just doesn't even do anything? Well, a couple things, and, and before I answer that, we have to back up and realize that if you haven't established rapport, if they don't like and trust you, almost everything you can do is going to be backfire and be perceived as manipulative, right? That's number one. And if they haven't created a what's in it for you or reason to listen, there's also a challenge with that. So that's the first thing. If they don't like you, they don't trust you, and there's no reason for you to listen, then everything's going to backfire. So we have to assume that they've taken care of that. What I would recommend is usually when you ask a question, get the yes, you're still filling it in and getting a little, well, tell me more about that. Why do you say that? Okay, thanks. And then get another yes. That's the key factors. You're developing the relationship. You're the consultant. You're asking questions because the doctor can't ask too many questions. They're the consultant. They're the expert. You want them to solve your problem. And when you're taking on that role, this becomes much, much easier. And when you look at negotiations, this is even more important. Here's what happens a lot of times is people try to solve the most difficult issue first, the money or, or things. Solve the easiest yeses first. If there's 10 things to solve, Get the yes, get the yes, get the yes. The easiest issues first. Because if you try to solve the hardest issue and you never get a yes, the other nine are impossible. But if you solve the first nine, you've got nine yeses, there's only one left to do, then it becomes much easier to get the yeses all the way through that negotiation. Okay, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Why don't we cut back to our infomercial stick? (laughs) Okay, go. Okay. But Kurt, wow, you're telling me it can actually increase commitments that much. What else should our listeners know? Okay, Steve, let me tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> this is so cheesy. Another study. Another study. We're getting high in that lactose factory today. Yeah. But anyway, high cheese level. <laughs> another study by Knox and Inkster. All right. This was at a horse racing track in Canada. Remember, the human brain needs to be right. And so they interviewed people before they placed a bet on a horse. And one of the questions was to find out how confident they were with their decision, right? Who they were going to choose to win. Then after they placed the bet, they were interviewed again and stuck in there was to find out how confident they were with their decision. Now, here's the human brain. This we need to understand. After they had placed the bet, now the race hadn't happened yet, but after they placed the bet, they were more confident in their decision than before because they had already made the decision and their mindset was they're good at making decisions. And here's what's important about this. Before your prospect decides to do business with you, they're looking for every reason not to, every flaw, every blunder. Wait, what's going on? But once you've given them one reason to do business with you, now they've got to justify it's a good decision. They're looking for every reason why it was a good decision. So here's where your takeaway on this one is once they've decided to do business with you, don't keep vomiting all the features and benefits or the other things that they get. Start the process, fill out the agreement, get things going based on that one, and everything else is a bonus. Everything else are things that they're looking for to justify that they just made a good decision. Because if you keep going, you're going to suck the energy out of the presentation, now your ability to persuade, and you're probably going to give them a few reasons not to do it. Yeah, if somebody has to keep telling you why this is such a good deal or why you're doing such a good thing, every person eventually goes, okay, what are you compensating for here? That's exactly right. And so a lot of times, once you can find the one or two things that are important to them, everything else is a bonus, start moving on, go down the process, fill out the agreement, start getting the form of payment. Then you can fill in the blanks after that. But now they've made decisions. They're looking for all the reasons why they made that great decision, and it just changes everything. Cool, cool. Well, how many of the methods did we get through today? Did we get through three of them? I lost track. 
Yeah, I think so. You lost tracks because it was so exciting <laughs> on our infomercial motif today. But wait, there's more next week. Well, actually, there's more. There's That's more. Right. <laughs> we'll pick it up where we left off last week. We've covered half of the ways of, of getting rid of dissonance, of coming back to mental consistency, and really talked about some of the ways to leverage that to your advantage as a persuader. So we'll pick it up next week. In the meantime, Kurt, you've got a blunder. You were telling me this about this before the show. It's pretty terrible. <laughs> it is. So I get a letter in the mail. There's this thing that's been uh, building for the last few years in the area. Everyone's excited about it. Everyone wants to go inside and see it. And I received this special guest invitation. Now, because of my standing in the community, I'm going to be able to get the special VIP tour. Come early. There'll be refreshments. You get to see it. You are a special person. I'm like, cool. I didn't, you know, I didn't ask for that. They sent it to me. I'll... About time somebody told you you're special. I know. I've never I, done hey, that. if I don't if I don't have to stand on the line, as you know, that's even better for me. So I'm like, hey, this is a good thing. And then fast forward two weeks later, I get another letter in the mail. Let me just read a little bit of it. It says, Dear Kurt, after reflecting upon our special guest invitations recently mailed out, we have unfortunately realized that you have received an invitation in error. <laughs> My sincerest apology. Here's where it gets good. My sincerest apology for uninviting you now. <laughs> wow. And then it just goes on. And I'm not going to name names or say what happened. I'm like, whoa, they made me feel guilty for wanting to be a special guest. I'm like, no, you invited me. What's going on? You and now want I'm to uninvited. Be a special guest. You never asked I for mean, it. Wow. And so I think that did more damage than good as far as uninviting. It actually used the words, we're uninviting you now. I'm like, wow. Now I'm having these negative feelings thinking, what's going on? What's happening? I'm uninvited and uninvited. Now, now I'm not a VIP anymore. So now I'm having a blow to my self-esteem. I'm going to have a good cry. I'm uninvited. <laughs> Even though they apologized, I'm still thinking, whoa, that was tacky. Yeah, yeah. Hey, they made the show. That's pretty. I don't think the right hand was talking to the left there. That was pretty tacky. <laughs> Something was going on. I don't know what's happening. I don't know if they've never taken a PR class in their life or what's going on. But obviously, I need to send them an email to say, hey, I've got a good podcast you can listen to. So you don't make these mistakes. Anymore. Uninvited. They gave it to you. They took it back. There's a term for that that goes beyond our good natured offensiveness that I won't say. But. Yeah, it's <laughs> that is really, really tacky. <laughs> yeah, so that is the blunder of the day. So we haven't had Homer, so Homer, give us your dope. <laughs> dope, dope, dope. Oh, man, all you could do is just uh, just laugh at that. That's one that, uh, you remember a couple weeks ago I told you about the guy that told me he'd get back to me in 10 years? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but you can't, all you could do is laugh. You could just go, Wow. <laughs> I still have Yeah, it. these are special ones. I'll keep this. If I ever teach a class on PR, I'll have the before and after letters ready to go. Yeah. I really look forward to that episode in 10 years when I get <laughs> to talk about how the guy got back to me. He got back to you. See, <laughs> that'll be our persistence, patience podcast. Yeah. Like, yep, yeah. 10 years later, you never know. I think that would warrant a special episode. Yeah, it might be episode 1000. The, that we'll call it episode 1046 the guy got back to Steve. <laughs> All right, so hold your breath, listeners, for episode 1,000. What was it, 1,000 what? 1,046. 
All right, hold your breath for 1046. Steve's going to close the big deal 10 years later to show you patience does work. <laughs> well, I think we'll just need to go out on a high note. That'll be the last <laughs> episode of Maximize Your Income. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Finally, Steve's financially independent 10 years later because he was patient. Because the guy got back to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's good. Everybody, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for hanging out with us on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. We're going to be back next week. Continuing on the topic of dissonance, we'll probably polish it off. It'll be episode 123. As always, follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax. Like us on Facebook, Maximize Your Influence. Send us your comments, questions, suggestions, derogatory remarks, great barbecue recipes, and travel recommendations to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week on another episode. Take care and persuade with power. <laughs> <laughs>